From Santa Cruz, California, I'm Gary Shapiro, and this is From the Bookshelf. Thanks so much for joining me. J. Randy Tarabarelli returns to the show this week. He is the author of many great biographies, including books about Diana Ross, Cher, Carol Burnett, Michael Jackson, Frank Sinatra, Madonna, Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe, Beyonce. Uh, he's written many books about the Kennedys, and the last time we spoke, he had written about uh, the, the women in the Bush family, Grace and Steele, Dorothy, Barbara, Laura, and the women of the Bush dynasty. I think that was the last book we did. And you've probably seen Randy on TV shows like Entertainment Tonight, Good Morning America, Today, and CBS This Morning. His new book is about Jackie Kennedy, and it is called Jackie, Public, Private, Secret. J. Randy Terraborelli, welcome back to From the Bookshelf. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you again. Good to talk to you again. Well, I, I'm always happy when you write a new book because I know we'll get a chance to talk, and I think we've been doing it since your Elizabeth Taylor book, so that was quite a while ago. Man, that's, that was a while ago. Man, that, that was a good book, too, but that's got to be 15 years, maybe, I think. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Um, well, you know, one thing I know about you, Randy, is that you uh, like to keep up, but you don't just write a book about somebody and then uh, jettison them. You write a book about people you care about, and many of them show up in, in this new book. But let me uh, start by asking you, um, how is Madonna? What's going on with Madonna? Um, uh, you know, I only know what other people know. You know, like I, I don't have inside the inside track on Madonna. Um, and I so I don't really know. But I, I what I hear is that she's doing better. And um, and I and from having known her and having written about her, it takes a lot to it will take a lot to get Madonna down, yeah. you know, for, for a long time. I mean, she is a true survivor and she's also very physically in shape. You know, she's all, she's all, always taking care of herself. So whatever is going on with her, I'm, I'm sure it's just, you know, that's what happens when you get older and, and you refuse to um, kind of give in, you know, and uh, good for her that she's not giving in. And I, I, I wish her well, and I hope she's okay. Right, I do too. Uh, and Diana Ross, she hasn't given in. She's got a new album. She's on tour. Have you yeah. seen? Have you seen her since she's been touring again? I have. Look, there's a thing about Diana Ross that I always have. I mean, I, I was her fan club president when I was ten, <laughs> all the way until until I was uh, eighteen. It's how I ended up in Los Angeles. I've got. Right out of high school, I went to work for the Supremes and um, didn't go to college, you know, didn't have a college education, never took any writing courses. The only reason I became a writer was because the Supremes broke up and I needed something to do. And, <laughs> uh, and that's the truth. And, and I knew magazine and newspaper editors from having worked for the Supremes. And so I went to them and said, you know what, I'm a writer now. They were like, no, you're not. And I was like, yeah, I think I am. Right. <laughs> And that's how I became a writer. And it's a true story. I never, I never went to, 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 to classes or anything. So, you know, I owe Diana Ross a lot. I love Diana Ross and she's still working. I don't know how old she is now, 78 maybe. And people love going to see her. She sells out everywhere she goes and she's at, she's really at sort of a peak of her, of her career at this stage. It's pretty amazing. I, I remember the first time I saw Sinatra, I thought he was old. And he was younger than I am now. 
but <laughs> he seemed he seemed old. And the last time I saw Sinatra, he shouldn't have been performing. I mean, he was there were these giant uh, teleprompters with like one word at a time, and he would get lost. Although there were occasional moments of brilliance because it was Sinatra, he was too old to be out there, and he was probably the age that Diana Ross is now. You know, I saw Sinatra during those years too. Um, but the thing I noticed was that people didn't care that much. You know, yeah. as a critic and as a reporter, I would look at, I looked at Frank and I'm like, you know, he should not be on stage. But as a fan, I think that people just, he brought so much to the stage of it, so much history and so much culture and so many memories and so much, you know, of a relationship with his audience that the fact that he didn't really sound like he should have, I think kind of went over their heads, you know, and um, luckily Diana Ross still has, you know, she still sounds like Diana Ross. So I think that that's to her great advantage, but you know, Frank lost a lot in those final years. Yeah, he definitely did. Um, But Diana still sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen her this tour, but a friend of mine went and said it was fantastic. So, yeah, how great is that? That's amazing. Uh, what a great performer she is. Uh, what about Beyonce? She's on tour too, a gigantic tour. What can I say about Beyonce? She's got a built-in audience. She has her fans that love her. I loved her. I loved knowing her. But I will tell you this: that. Book, man, Gary, that was my most unsuccessful book. And we thought that book was going to be the biggest hit. I mean, we thought that book was going to go through the roof. And I gave everything I had to that book. That is a real full scale Beyonce biography, the only one that's ever been written. It's a big book, too. It's like three. I can't take (laughs) What I learned is that her fans do not want no big book. (laughs) <laughs> about the, about their icon. Do you think you know, that has they, something to do with young people not reading as much as has everything to do with that? Yeah. I dedicated that book to my niece, and she she, she still hasn't read it. Right? <laughs> you look. I it's mean, I, I we didn't know at the time. We just didn't know. Uh, we thought, look, the guy who wrote "Call Her Miss Ross," the Diana Ross book, which was huge. Now he's taking on Beyonce. It just felt like this this was going to work. And we had a great campaign, and I was on the Wendy Williams show, and I, I I did a lot of press for that book. And, man, nobody bought that book. And I think that what happened was her audience was just not interested in all the fine details. They got what they needed on Instagram and Twitter, and that was enough for them. And my audience was like, I think we'll wait for, you know, the next uh, – you know, sort of J. Randy Tarabrelli iconic book. Well, I read and, it. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you, man. I I loved writing it, and I thought it was a good book. <laughs> I, <laughs> do you, what do you think of the recent uh, music that Beyonce has made? The, how do you compare it with her her earlier work? I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a fan. Uh, and she had begun to go down this road toward the end of my book. And I, I could have, I, I kind of predicted that she was headed down this road because of Jay Z's influence. Uh, 
her father and mother, when, when they were involved in her career, they had a vision of, of Beyonce as being the next Diana Ross. And, uh, Jay Z have had an image of Beyonce as more of a, you know, hip hop star. And so she's gone down that road. I, I personally couldn't tell you a single thing Beyonce's done in the last five years. You know, like I don't know any of these songs. Like they, you know, I, I hear them and, Maybe it's my age. Maybe it's a generational thing. It probably is. In all respect to Beyonce, I am not her demographic, you know. And she and, and so I hear these songs, and it's just like I don't know. What, I don't know what this is. You know? Do you do you understand? Do you agree with me? I mean, I like I, I hear these songs. And I'm yeah. Just like, I don't understand. I don't, what I don't know if it's generational with me because I do listen to a lot of music, but um, I'm not. I don't find it all that appealing musically. I don't either. You know, I, I think that her father had the right idea, you know, make Beyonce somebody who will appeal to everyone for a long time, like Diana Ross, as opposed to turn Beyonce into somebody who's going to appeal, you know, to a certain segment. That said, who the heck are we to talk? This woman (laughs) has a career like no other. I mean, she, you know, she's a box office but if there is such a thing as box office today, I guess I guess they still call it that. Well, yeah. She sells tickets, man, and she is hugely successful. And here, here I am, this guy saying, "I don't get it. I don't get it. Who? What? Who cares if I don't get it? She, <laughs> she's a she. She is doing her thing, and she is great at it, whether I get it or not. You know, and there is that similarity in that uh, with Diana Ross, in that she came out of a trio, and she was the one who everybody paid attention to i think they were actually uh there were four of them weren't there in destiny's child originally and then it became a trio you know it's yes you know it's funny when i was promoting my madonna book back in like 2002 i think and uh i was on fox news and somebody asked me you know uh who do you think is going to be the next you know big star i said beyonce knowles and they were like who like they had no idea who this was and I knew back, back then that this girl who was the lead singer of this group, and no one ever heard of Beyonce Knowles. They knew Destiny's Child, but they didn't know who that who the who the star was. I knew she was going to be big, and and I was right. You know, she 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 became bigger than any of us could have ever imagined. Well, you know, you you're you're famous, Randy Tabarelli, for writing about powerful women, and so I was wondering if. Taylor Swift is on your radar. I mean, uh, she fits the mold. Um, talk about selling tickets. There's a concert coming up here in the Bay Area where the t- there are tickets available. The lowest ticket price is almost $2,000 to be up in the nosebleeds. And the good seats are $7,000. What the hell? How can anybody Let me tell you, Really? I mean... I can't afford to see Taylor Swift, so I'm not going to be there. Um, <laughs> you know, I learned my lesson, Bill, from Beyonce. You know, look, if Beyonce had been a success, I prob- my publisher at that time wanted me to do Taylor Swift. I mean, that was the plan. The plan was Beyonce, then Taylor Swift. And if Beyonce had been a huge success, I would have done Taylor Swift. But it's not where I wanted to go. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to be a historian of present day pop stars. That's that. I don't want to be the guy on Good Morning America. I just did Good Morning America day before yesterday, I think. 
talking about Jackie. I don't want to be on Good Morning America talking about Taylor Swift. You know, I think that there are younger folks, younger reporters, you know, who should be out there talking about Taylor Swift and guys like me should be the, you know, more the historian talking about the historical figures. So I'm in a, in a way, in a big way, I have a lot of gratitude to the universe or whoever controls book sales, (laughs) you know, to Barnes and Noble and Amazon. You know, I have a lot of gratitude for the fact that my Beyonce book was not a success because it was definitely getting ready to take me down a road that I didn't want to go down. And I followed Beyonce with Jackie, Janet, and Lee about Jackie and her mom, Janet, and her sister, Lee. And that was a huge New York Times bestseller for me. That's where I belong. You know, that that's what my audience wants from me. They want that. They didn't want Beyonce, and they made that very, very clear. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, there have been thousands of books about the Kennedys, and you have written most of them. So, now you've written Jackie, Public, Private, Secret. I enjoyed the book very much. Let me say that right at the beginning. But, um, and there was a lot in it that I didn't know, even though I read all your other books. But tell me, why did you want to write another book about Jackie Kennedy? Well, Jackie Kennedy Onassis had always been a major figure in, in all of my previous Kennedy books. You know, I did Jackie... Ethel and Joan in 2000, which was about Jackie's relationship with her sisters-in-law, Ethel and Joan Kennedy. And I did After Camelot, which was about, you know, the Kennedys after JFK and RFK's assassination. So Jackie figured prominently in that story. Um, and I did uh, Jackie Janet Lee, which was Jackie and her relationship with her mom and her sister. And I did the Kennedy heirs, which was about the third generation of Kennedys. So Jackie figured in that story in, in terms of her, of her mothering of John and Caroline. And but I never had a chance to... About President Kennedy and Camelot and all that, right? Yes, yes. I mean, so yes. And so I, but I've never had a chance to take Jackie sort of from cradle to grave, um, as it were, and and really devote all of my time and attention to just this one woman's life. Um, and not have so many other players that distracted from her her story um and also i had an opportunity to go back to the research of all those previous books and draw from that research stories that i didn't use for those books you know and how how great is that you know to be able to to go back and find the interview with the secret service agent that i didn't use in 2000 you know that now i wanted to you know mine for and he's and many of these people are long gone you know, but their memories live on in this book. And uh, and then we did new, fresh research as well for this book. So it's a it's a, just a great sort of combination of source material and research and, you know, oral histories from the Kennedy Library that I never had a chance to access before. Uh, what a great time I had. It took three years and it was a great time, a great three years. Well, you say we, you just said we. So I want to know, do you have a staff that works with you in doing your research? Luckily, I do. I have have a staff of four private investigators, um, researchers. I've had the same people, you know, for many years. Uh, My my chief researcher's name is Kathy Griffin. She's been with me since 1990. 
And uh, she does an incredible job of, uh, and it's not Kathy Griffin, the comedian, by the way. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> you know? And yeah. she does an incredible job of um, finding people that seem to have dro- dropped off the face of the earth and, and finding stories for me that have never been told before. And then I go back and, you know, interview these people. And, um, and we really spend a lot of time with our sources. We drive our sources crazy. You know, we don't, it's not just one interview and you're, go, and you're out of the picture. We could, we keep going back to these people. I interviewed Jamie off the cost probably 50 times. Jackie's half brother. Uh, I drove that poor man crazy, you know, <laughs> calling him up and asking him, do you remember what color, what color her dress was in 1957 when she went to some party? Yeah. You know, and, and like what exactly did she say to you at this, in, in this moment? Like what were her exact words to you? Like, I drive them crazy because my book, as you know, they're very detailed. You know, I will tell you what color dress that was, you know, but I won't tell it to you. Cigarette they smoke. Yes. I, I, and I, but I, I won't tell it to you unless I know for sure that that's the case. And the only way to know for sure is to go back to these people over and over and jog their memories and, have them go through their attics and find pictures. And, you know, um, it's really important to me that my books be accurate, but also I'm known for detail. You know, I'm known for, you know, Jackie smoking the exact cigarette that she was smoking at that time. Newports, I think, you know, which I don't even know if they make anymore, you know, and I, I just really uh, feel like people expect that from my books. They want to know what kind of food people, Everybody was eating at the table. They want to know everything there is to know about those moments. And they want to be sort of a fly on the wall in those moments. And the only way I can do that is to really depend on my sources and make sure that they're accurate and make sure that their memories are clear. One thing I want to mention, if people start remembering more with the passing of time, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. Mm. You know, one of the reasons we go back to our sources over the course of years is to make sure that they stay consistent uh, with their stories. Um, there is there is something to be said for jogging a person's memory and having them remember something else. But I've had situations in my career where all of a sudden somebody decides to tell a story that if they that is so bombastic and huge that if they didn't tell it to me before and they suddenly decided to tell it to me, I'm not real comfortable with that story. That sounds like somebody who just wants to get in a book, you know. <laughs> yeah, I can and, tell some stories. I can tell you some stories about Jackie Kennedy, Randy. Next time you do, when you're doing, voting. yeah, exactly. That's what I'm worried about, man. I'm, I'm worried about I'm worried about people like you, Gary. So you know, <laughs> I have a little note here to ask uh, Jay, Randy, Tabarelli. Do you just make up all this stuff? But now you're telling me that you really do this research, and <laughs> um, and, and I, I imagine that you also were able to access research that you've done for other books because. As I was saying earlier, many of your favorite people show up in this book. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, Michael Jackson. Um, What about Michael Jackson? That was a pretty interesting story. Michael Jackson exasperated uh, Jackie Onassis. It's funny. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, Gary, but no one has asked me about this. Uh, I don't know why, because I thought people would really be interested in this, but... You know, I drew from my own interviews with Michael Jackson to talk about and write about his relationship with Jackie. 
Um, and she was frustrated with him because he was so uh, not he was not forthcoming when she was working with him on his autobiography, which is so ironic because who was less forthcoming than Jackie Kennedy? Right? <laughs> when, <laughs> but when she became an editor at Doubleday, you know, her job was to bring out uh, bring these people out of their shelves. And she told me at that time. And I used this quote in the book, you know, what what's the point of biography if it doesn't tell you secrets? You know, and she said that to me. And I thought, wow, how interesting is that coming from a woman who never wanted anybody to know her secrets? <laughs> but, she, but she knew how to compartmentalize her life. You know, that was her. That was Jackie O, the icon. And Jacqueline Onassis, the editor, was a very different uh, woman. And she was frustrated with Michael and Michael was frustrated with her. It's so funny because these are two of the most elusive people in the world trying to figure each other out, you know, and they they never really did, you know, and at the end, they actually had, as I wrote in this book for the first time, I don't think anybody ever knew this because I'd never written it before, but they had a big falling out at the end and it had to do with the paperback edition of Moonwalk, Michael's memoir. It was in his contract that a paperback edition would come out. It's in my contracts. So there is always going to be a paperback edition of every book. It always is about one year later, the paperback edition comes out. You don't have anything to say about it. That's just part of the deal. Michael, of course, was not used to not having anything to say about things. And he did not want that paperback edition to come out. He told me that, you know, when you do an album, it comes out. You don't release another version in a year. You know, there was one version of Thriller for like 30 years until finally the estate put out like an expanded edition after Michael died. There were like multiple different versions of Thriller in the streets. The same 12 songs. And if you didn't like them, that was the end of that. Right. And everybody loved Thriller. Michael, Michael felt that that which should be the way it is with books. The book is out. Hardcover edition. That's the book. You don't get anything else. Jackie told him, look, you know, that's not the way it works, you know, and and uh, and he said to her, if you go up against me on this, you, you know, you'll be the one to lose. And that sounded like a threat to Jackie. It kind of was. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what he was going to do, yeah. but, you know, he was like he's out there threatening Jackie. Oh, you know, and some sort of obtuse way when he said, you know, you're going to be the one to come out on the losing end of this. And. Uh, kind of ended their relationship and they I don't think they ever spoke again but the paperback edition did not come out and did not come out until after his death you know and when, after he died the estate issued a paperback edition of of moonwalk but not in the 1980s when Jackie wanted it to come out all right so I have to go back because you just you know let two little things slip out in that little uh, answer to you my question, both that you have sat down and talked to both Michael Jackson and Jackie Kennedy. So let's let's start with Jackie Kennedy. How did you meet her and what was it like to sit and talk to her? Well, um, I was a young guy. Uh, I, I was writing my first book uh, about Diana Ross, and uh, it was for Doubleday, a publishing company in New York. And Jackie was an editor at Doubleday at that time. And so we had a chance to have a lot of conversations about books and stories and her job as an editor. She gave me a lot of really good advice because my Diana Ross book, I didn't write this in the, in the new book, but this is a true story that, that somehow didn't make the new book. But 
um, my Diana Ross book came in, you know, like about this many pages. Right. <laughs> and it was way, way too long. And Jack, and because I had included every story there was to tell about Diana Ross in that book. I mean, I let it, I, I let it rip. And Jackie said to me, you know, there are a lot of stories in the big city. You have to find your story and tell your story, but don't tell every story. And that really stuck with me because that's kind of what I did with all the other previous Kennedy books. Mm-hmm. You know, I told the story of what that book was about, you know, Jackie and her sisters-in-law, you know, the Kennedys after Camelot, the third generation of Kennedys, you know, and I, I found a way to stick to that. And then, you know, when it came time to write the new book about Jackie, I was able to take all the stories that I didn't include in all those other books and put them in this new book, you know? So that was a really important lesson for me to, you don't have to tell every story, you know, you can, you can hold off and wait until the time is right for that story. She was great. You know, I, I, I wrote in this book in Jackie public private secret, I wrote of my experiences with Jackie and I wrote of what I thought was her secret weapon, which was her amazing accessibility. She made you feel as if you were the most important person in the world in that moment. And she was so accessible and easy in the way that she would lean into you and make you feel as if you could ask her any question in the world. And the, and the fact that you were able to do that was exactly the reason why you didn't, Mm. you know, she, you, you just would never do that to her. You know, like you knew that she trusted you so much to not go there that you'd have to be a real creep to go there. And I thought that that is so interesting and, I really respected that of her, you know, and that's the way she lived her life. You know, she lived in New York for 30 years and she would leave her house and go to work and walk the streets of New York, totally trusting that people were not going to mob her and, and, and assault her and bombard her with questions about the assassination. And New Yorkers never did. New Yorkers respected her. They thought of her as being one of their own. And even though she was pursued by paparazzi, of course, she wasn't pursued by New Yorkers because she made herself available to them and they would not abuse the opportunity. You know, I just think that's so fascinating. I don't know that that would happen today in in our culture, you know, and um, today famous people have people who are a lot less famous than Jackie have huge bodyguard ensembles. You know, but Jackie didn't have any bodyguards. Can you imagine that? No, I can't. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, John Lennon felt the same way about walking around in New York, and he felt you know people wouldn't bother him and so on. And look what happened. Yeah, you so know? I think that's changed that that changed the attitude of a lot of people. I'm sure. But um, you might be right about that. you might be right about that. I hadn't thought about that. That could have been a seminal moment. I mean, I hadn't thought about that, but that. That might have been a seminal moment right there. So take me back to that moment one more time and tell me what what was Jackie wearing? What did did you look in her eyes? Was she wearing glasses? Was she? I wrote about it in detail in the book. You know, I mean, I I even wrote about the pictures she had on her desk. Uh-huh. You know, and I mean, and, and I was I was surprised that there were no pictures of JFK or Aristotle Onassis in her office. Very you, you know. That. And I thought that was interesting. And there was a picture of, of uh, her mom, Janet, on her desk with her with her children, uh, uh, JFK Jr. And, and Caroline. 
Uh, and I thought that was interesting, you know, and there were cigarette butts in the ashtray on her desk because she was, you know, she smoked a lot, you know, and uh, there's a picture of, of a of a ballet star, I forget which one, but it's in my book on her wall. No, I did. I did the Jay Rainey Tarabrelli thing when it came to the, to the <laughs> with Jackie. Now, I, I, I bring you right there. <laughs> and, and Michael Jackson, is there. It seems to me that maybe your books lead you, you know, you, you're following a path. One book leads you to the next path. And that does, did Diana Ross lead you to Michael Jackson? Because of course they knew each other. She was instrumental in bringing the Jackson five to the public and so on. She actually did. You know, I was a kid when the Jackson five made their first um, appearance as a Motown recording act in Philadelphia, where I was raised, where I am right now, um, at the Philadelphia Convention Center. And I was running a fan club for Diana Ross. I maybe was 12 at this time. And she called me up and she said, you know, I've got this group appearing in Philadelphia in your hometown. They're called the Jackson Five, and I would love for you to go to see them. And I was like, mm, no, I don't think so. Right. <laughs> and, the, and the reason I didn't want to go was because I did, I was 12, first of all, and I didn't want, I, I didn't want to use up the the parental favor on the, on some, on some group I never heard of. Like for me, I need, if I was going to see the Supremes, I needed to, you know, my parents had to take me and I needed to store that up. Like I wasn't going to use up a, a, the opportunity to have my parents take me somewhere on the Jackson five. Right. And, um, <laughs> and she said, you know, and she said, well, you know, I said, I don't think my parents will take me. She said, well, you know, tell them that, you know, I really want you to go and, she kind of really wanted me to, to be there. And so I did go and she arranged for me to go backstage. I met Michael. He was about the same age. And then Michael and I became friends at that, at that point, that time. Right. And then I went on to become a writer and Michael went on to become Michael Jackson. And the first article that I ever published, uh, the first interview I ever actually published was in a newspaper in New York called the Black American. And it was Michael Jackson turned 16. Hmm. And and from that point on, I began doing all of the Michael Jackson birthday stories. Michael turns 17, Michael turns 18, Michael's 21, Michael's 25, you know, all the way through. And then eventually I wrote my book on Michael in 1990. So Michael and I were friends from the time that we were kids. And uh, and that really was because Diana invited me to that show and forced me to go <laughs> when I kind of I didn't want to use up the favor. Well. Uh, how how did you feel when Michael died? Were you, were you shocked at his death? I I was I was I was shocked. I mean, I think everybody everybody was. But I covered the Michael Jackson trial, in Santa Maria, that Mike when Michael was uh, up on, on charges of child molestation. I I was there every day in the courtroom, sitting right behind him. Uh, I was working for CBS News, and I saw the slow deterioration of Michael during that trial until the, he was just nothing like the man that I had known. And when that trial was over and he was found not guilty, um, I remember thinking that his life was over anyway. I, I just didn't see how he was ever going to bounce back from that. Hmm. Um, and so in some in some ways, I wasn't surprised, even though it was shocking. Um, 
but in other ways, you know, what a loss. And strangely enough, I became friends with his son, Prince, after Michael was gone, you know, um, and trained Prince in martial arts. And, you know, one day this kid walks in and it's Prince Jackson, you know, and I was, I was like, I'm not, I have a black belt in martial arts. And, uh, and, and it was just such an odd thing for me to be able to get to know Michael's son at the same age that I was, that he was when at the same age, Michael was when I got to know him, mm-hmm. you know, and be able to tell Prince some stories about his father at his age. And I, I felt like there was some kind of weird divine intervention happening there that there just seemed to be no way that I would ever get to know Michael Jackson's son after Michael was gone. You know, I just don't even know how that even happened, but it did. Um, and uh, it wasn't the first time I met Prince. I met Prince when he was a little boy. And I was in a in a uh, Ross Dress for Less store, right? Uh, discount st- clothing store. And Catherine Jackson was there with Prince, who was, I don't know, five or something. And. She said to Prince, she said, Catherine said, do you know who this man is? She pointed at me. And Prince looked at me and he said, oh, yeah, that's that old guy who talks about my dad on TV. (laughs) (laughs) How nice. What a sweet. (laughs) Oh, man. So anyway, but I got to know Prince and he's a great guy. Um, And it was it's terrible about Michael. We miss him. We definitely do. Oh, yeah. Well, related to that was the recent death of Priscilla Press. I mean, uh, excuse me, um, Lisa Marie Presley, uh, which was shocking. And she was married to Michael. You you must have encountered her at some point. I knew her very well. I mean, I I had many conversations with her. In fact, I planned to write a book with her. Um, We spent a lot of time uh, together working on an outline for a book. and this was back when she was married to Michael and um, and she ultimately decided that she didn't want to write the book, you know, and she said, and I don't want you to write it either. And, and let me tell you, Lisa Marie was not the type of person you wanted to cross. Yeah. You know, she yeah. didn't want you to do something. You doggone didn't do it. Right. But I had the title of this book in mind. I wanted to call the book Dark Lady, you know, mm. because that's how she always struck me. And one of the on the final day of our discussion about this book, when she made it clear that, you know, I wasn't going to be doing no book with her. I left the the house, really her house in Hidden Hills, uh, very disappointed that day. And and in my rearview mirror, I saw Lisa Marie running to the car as I was pulling out. She's like waving me down to stop. And I stopped the car and I rolled down the window. Lisa Marie popped in her head and she said, that title, Dark Lady, that rocks. <laughs> that rocks. And I said, thank you very much. I rolled up the window and went on my way. You know, so I didn't get to write the book, but I did have lots of conversations about her. And she was so cool, so interesting, so amazing. And uh, what a loss again. An underrated um, talent, I think. Her albums are spectacular and they weren't big sellers. They're such a great record. And I don't understand why they weren't big sellers, you know, but it just goes to show you that you can only go so far on a, on a, on a, on the name, I guess. But she had the talent too. It's just that people just, uh, you know, you, there's no, ta- there's no, there's no predicting the public's taste. And um, 
I mean, you would have thought that those albums would have been successful just because she was a Presley. And, and I'm sure that people responsible for those records at the record label on the very first one were like, this is going to be huge because not only is it a Presley, but she can sing, oh, you know, yeah. and she can write songs. I mean, she's got, te- she's not just going on her dad's name. She actually has something to bring to the table and it still didn't matter. You know, so I thought, who the heck knows what, what it takes these days. The very last track on that first album was like a hidden track called Excuse Me. It's one of the best songs anybody ever wrote, and she sings it so well. It's a a beautiful track. Yeah. Yeah. It was quite a loss. Um, We're talking with J. Randy Terborelli, and he's written many great biographies, and his new one is called Jackie, Public, Private, Secret, all about Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, and it's it's really great. Uh, Randy, the last time we spoke about this topic was... Uh, the book you wrote about Jackie and her sister and, and her mother, right? And the um, I was remember talking to you then about how you took a you found a new way of talking about the assassination, which is a story that we all remember, those of us old enough to remember, and that resonates with us. And and you kind of found a new angle. And here in this book, you found another way of talking about it by kind of. You don't actually have that moment of the assassination, which is very briefly you have it, but then you have the, uh, from Jackie's point of view, everything that happens afterwards. Um, and you were saying about how, uh, Jackie's a very private person, yet at that moment she was repeating the story you said over and over again to anybody who would listen. Yes, you know, um, I talked to a lot of people, you know, who, who were in the hospital with Jackie when the autopsy was being conducted on JFK. They were there all night long waiting for the body to be released to to be able to take it back to the White House. And she was so traumatized that she just kept telling the story over and over again. It was sort of like a way of purging herself of of the trauma. But Jamie Auchincloss, her half-brother, felt that there was a lot of not wanting to let Jack go. And that by repeating this story over and over again, she was still holding on to him. It's one of the reasons why Jamie said that he, he, his father, Hugh Auchincloss, which was Jackie's stepfather, felt that she didn't want to change out of that outfit, the pink blood splattered outfit, because, um, she just didn't want to let that day end, you know, and, um, it's just it's a it's a terrible and sad story, and that was really the beginning of the of the, of the trauma. And you're right. I I look. I wrote probably 200 pages on the assassination. You know, be, and and I and after I read it, I was like, oh, you know, we have been down this road before so many times. I just did not want to take my reader down that road again. And and I whittled it down to I don't know what maybe eight sentences. You know, and that was enough because we all know what happened. And we just I just did not think we needed to go down that road again. Uh, From a storytelling standpoint, my main interest in my books is to make sure that my reader becomes invested and not bored. And 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 also to make sure that they actually read it. This is why my books don't they don't appear in strictly chronological order. Like, you know, because if you, if I begin a book, you know, Jackie was born and then she, you know, then she did this and she did that. 
I know my readers well enough to know that they're going to skip all of that and go right to the White House. They're going to go right to 1960. They're going to say, I don't care about this. I don't care about this. Let me just get to the part that I want to know about. And they're going to be one. They're going to skip the first third of the book and go right to 1960. Right. I, as a storyteller, want them to know certain things. And the only way I can be sure they're going to get them is if I don't give them a roadmap and I bounce around, you know, so I have a lot of flashbacks and, uh, and, and it's not a linear story. And I never tell it. Some of my readers are like, I can't make heads or tails of this. You're like, I'll get these Amazon, I'll get these Amazon reviewers who are like, this guy's all over the map. Well, you know what? Sit down and pay attention. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's how, that's how you got to read a book. You got to sit down. I'm, I'm an old school biographer who demands that you not read the book in between your Instagram moments. You know, you got to sit down and pay attention. Uh, I always say that. Get off my lawn, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, when you were talking about how she was repeating this story over and over again, and maybe I've got this story wrong, but you know more about it than I do. When William Manchester was writing his book, The Death of the President, I mean, he had access to Jackie, and according to that book, she couldn't remember things. Do, Do you think that she was... I know you, you think she suffered from PTSD and probably blacked some things out or or is William Manchester not telling us everything? What what do you think? Well, you know, as I wrote in the book, you know, some of the stuff from William Manchester's book, Jackie asked him, you know, to cut didn't ask him to. She, you know, sued okay. uh to have some of these things taken out of his book. And some stuff was eventually taken out i will say that william manchester is that is the book you know death of a president that is the book if you're going to read anything other than my own (laughs) (laughs) if you're going to read any other book other than you have to read death of a president because it is really the the uh, most unbelievable account of that period of time but it was so intimate that Jackie was very, very unhappy about it. And she and Bobby Kennedy, you know, tried to get that book to not be published. And they worked really, really hard until finally Bobby just said, you know what? Enough. We're, we're ruining our image, you know, and by trying to prevent the public from knowing these stories, you know, let the first amendment stand, you know, and let this, let these stories come out. Jackie still continued to fight after that. And eventually some of this stuff was cut, but, you know, Jackie later said it just was not worth it. You know, she wished that she had dug her heels in as she did back then with William Manchester, because she's, she said it just wasn't worth it. And, um, and man, that book is really something. So if you really want to pick up something, it's available on Amazon. Here I am promoting William Manchester. Yeah. But if you really want to read something that will keep you riveted, uh, after you read Jackie Public Private Secret, I recommend that you go <laughs> read <laughs> Death of a President by William Manchester. Now, uh, uh, you wrote a great book about Frank Sinatra that I liked very much. And Sinatra appears in this story. You want to talk a little bit about the intersection of Jackie Kennedy Onassis and Frank Sinatra? Well, I was happy to tell this story as well, Gary, because it has not it had not, never been told. You know, that when Jackie was an editor at Viking, she really wanted to write, I mean, sorry, edit Frank Sinatra's autobiography. And she, 
you know, she pursued it relentlessly. Um, and she went out on dates with the guy. And she did, she wasn't a big fan of Frank Sinatra's when he was part of the Rat Pack phenomenon. And she didn't trust Frank with JFK. And she, you know, she was not a, she was not naive. She knew that Frank was involved in all that JFK infidelity business. And she just didn't approve of any of it. But she was able to, and I, as I said before, she could compartmentalize her life. And she knew that as an editor, uh, in order to prove herself at Viking, she could, if she brought in something like Frank Sinatra, that would go a long way toward giving her, you know, what she needed to, to be valid in that, in that role and a role that many people just didn't see her in, you know? Um, but then what happened was, uh, the church commission, which was investigating the CIA and the Kennedy administration, there's a lot of stuff going on in the 1970s with a lot of investigations. And one of these commissions, the church commission had found Judith Exner and she had apparently been working. Uh, I wrote about this in the book and it's so confusing. I'm going to try to get it right. You know, it's one thing to write about it. There's nothing to talk about it. You know, she, <laughs> she was working as an intermediary between uh, JFK and the mob according to her testimony. And she also, according to her testimony, had a long, complicated affair with JFK. And there were there were all kinds of White House logs of her being present when Jackie was not at the White House. And, you know, she he, she was somebody who just had an affair with JFK. And it came out in the mid-1970s, just as Jackie was trying to get this book from Frank Sinatra. And Jackie was still going to go forth with the book, but her publisher and her boss at Tom Ginsburg at Viking told her, you know, I think this is not for you, you know, because this is going to affect you and it's going to affect your children. And Frank is going to have to write about Judith Exner because now it's in the news and he's not going to be able to ignore it. And you're not going to be able to ignore it. And what are you going to, how are you going to handle this? And so she ultimately bowed out, did not edit Frank's autobiography and in fact there never was an autobiography by Frank Sinatra you know and uh, but that that's the story it it fell apart because of Judith Exner as all as all things fell apart back then because of Judith Exner (laughs) well there's there's a a scene in your book and I'm not giving too much away because your book is huge Um, but there's a scene where Marilyn Monroe possibly calls the White House. Now, you've also written about Marilyn Monroe. So do you, obviously, you've got all kinds of sources to talk about this story. Do you believe Marilyn Monroe called the White House? Well, Mar- the, the, the the family history has it that Marilyn Monroe called Jackie at in Hyannisport. Um, and that, you know, she just asked for Jack and Jack wasn't home. And she said, tell, she told Jackie, well, tell him that Marilyn called. And that was the end of that. It was five seconds, right? But man, this conversation just sort of reverberated through the family because like, well, my gosh, you know, Marilyn called Jackie, you know, what was, you know, what's going on? And they they actually wondered if it really was Marilyn or was it a crank call? Because how could you know? You know, anybody could sound like Marilyn Monroe. In fact, Jackie sometimes sounded like Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) So anybody could sound like Marilyn Monroe. And and there was like sort of a little bit of a rumor that maybe it was Jamie playing a practical joke on his uh on his half sister you know and Jamie and Jackie having had the same mom and Jamie told me 
you know, in research for this book, no, that was not me, though he said it was very much like my 14-year-old self to have done something like that. <laughs> I did not, I did not do it. It would be many years before Jackie was able to confirm that that was Marilyn. It was and because in this 1970s, as fate would have it, Jackie ended up with the same psychiatrist that Marilyn Monroe had in the 1960s. I mean, wow. what, what kind of crazy world is that? <laughs> that is amazing. And, and Dr. Marianne Chris, who had treated Marilyn Monroe and who had actually institutionalized Marilyn Monroe, the Payne Whitney Institute in New York back in 1962, um, ended up treating Jackie for her PTSD over Dallas. And it was when Jackie told Marianne Chris that, you know, I think that maybe Marilyn called me once 10 years ago. Marianne confirmed that that had been Marilyn. And then Marianne said that Marilyn told her that she had called. Can you imagine hearing this from, from, from your psychiatrist? You know, I mean, what a crazy story that is, you know, that, and Jackie didn't know, by the way, that Marianne had been a Marilyn psychiatrist when she brought her on. And she was not happy to find out about it either. <laughs> and she asked Marianne, don't you think that this was relevant? You know, and Marianne said, well, how is this relevant? And Jackie said, how is it not relevant? Right. <laughs> but Marianne felt like, you know, she said, according to people who worked with her, I'm not going to tell people that you were ever my patient either. So why would I tell you that Marilyn was my patient? In other words, she was she was trying to protect Marilyn's privacy. Who knows what was going on in Marianne's head that night when she met Jackie Onassis at Andy Warhol's party. Uh, and and gave Jackie her card. She probably went home that night. And was like, oh my god, I would have, you know, how is this possible, right? <laughs> I would love to have had a chance to interview Mary and Chris about what was she thinking because he must, her mind must have been blown by all this. But uh, anyway, that's that's the story. Um, I want to um, ask you one more thing about Michael Jackson. Uh, what was your opinion of the? Uh, it was like a three-hour Showtime documentary. You know what I'm talking about, where they were interviewing boys who or men uh -huh. who claimed uh -huh. to be. Well, did you have any thoughts about that? Uh, I sure did. Um, you know, um, I was uh, producing a uh, miniseries on Michael Jackson for FX at that time, and it did not go forward because of that documentary, because it was such a sort of backlash against Michael at that time. It was I, even I, like I, the uh, removal of his music from streaming services for a while there. Yeah. For a while. I mean, since that time, he's rebounded in a major way. But look, I knew those guys. Um, I, I knew them when they were kids. And I was around both of them when they were kids. And with Michael, you know, we all ran in the same circles. They were kids, though. We weren't like friends. You know, they were they were little kids. I um, I never saw anything like that. I personally didn't believe it, you know. But look, you don't, you don't know everything there is to know. You only know what you know. And my relationship with Michael prevented me from seeing him in that way because I just didn't believe it was true, um, you know. and um, I think that at the end, at the end of the day, we have to go with our gut as to how, as to what we believe and what we don't believe about things that we can't possibly know. 
right? Like, there's no way you could know everything there is to know about a person. But if you've known a person long enough, you have a you have a, a, a belief in that person and in who that person is. And I just didn't believe it. And especially since uh, Wade, um, one of the young men, testified at the Michael Jackson molestation trial. And I sat right across from him as he was giving his testimony. And I watched his testimony. And he testified that that never happened when when he was on, on the witness stand. And I believed him then. And so when he did an about face and now suddenly he was saying it did happen, it didn't make me want to believe him again. You know, like you can only, like when you're personally involved as I was in all of these situations, you just have to follow your own moral compass and what you believe to be true. And I do not believe that that was true. And when I say that, by the way, I always get in trouble because, <laughs> you know, people, there are people who believe it and there are people who don't. And, J. Randy Tabarelli can can never win by addressing this situation, but you asked the question and I'm giving you the answer. <laughs> well, I'm happy to put you uh, on the hot seat as always. Um, <laughs> so tell me, um, what's next? Now you you write a lot of books, and I imagine that you're already writing your next one. And can you give me a hint of what you're writing about now? I uh, I actually haven't started it yet. I'm starting it in September. Um, I I can tell you that it's 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 it, it's it's not the Kennedys, <clears throat> but it is another family. It is another family. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've done the Hiltons. I've yeah. done the Kennedy. I've done the Jacksons. You know, I've done, I've done the Grimaldi's. I mean, I've done, you know, I've done families for a long time. Uh, and this is another family and this is a really interesting little twist. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, I have one more question. You write about, you wrote about the Bushes. You wrote about the Kennedys. But you must personally have political uh, preferences, although they're not clear in your writing. As I'm, I guess that's intentional because you don't want to alienate any readers. But how do you manage to write about things like that without um, without your own political beliefs influencing you? Well, because my books are not political biographies, right? You know, like you don't go to one of my books to find out about politics. You know, politics is always a, a you know sort of in the background of everything that I do. But in the foreground are the personal lives of these people who happen to be politicians or who happen to be married to politicians, you know? So I, I, and Jackie public private secret, I'm not even quite sure you even know her politics, you know, like, like there are moments when you do glean what she was thinking, you know, but my books really aren't about politics. And so it absolves me of having to express my own political beliefs because I'm not really expressing theirs. Now, when I wrote about the Bushes, of course, you have no choice. You, you know, you have to get into it because you got two presidents and, you know, and, and one family. And so I wrote a lot about Republican politics, but I tried to stay away from having a judgment about it. You know, I didn't want to have a judgment about it, but I didn't need to because I had Barbara Bush. And she had plenty of judgments about it. So <laughs> <laughs> she had anytime I anytime I had any any sort of criticism of George Bush as a president, didn't have to worry about it because Barbara Bush already had it, you know. <laughs> and uh, and that that took that gave me a lot of license to not have to worry. So to answer your question, it's because 
I'm not a political biographer, so that, that's really worked well for me. Well, I enjoy your work always, and this new book is no exception. Jackie, Public, Private, Secret, and the author, J. Randy Tarborelli. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on From the Bookshelf. I appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate being here. Good to see you again. That's it for this week's From the Bookshelf. I hope you enjoyed the program and will come back and see us again next time. In the meantime, you can check out our website at fromthebookshelf.com. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can even get your smart speaker to play From the Bookshelf by saying, Alexa, play Gary Shapiro's From the Bookshelf. And she will. Until next time, for From the Bookshelf, I'm Gary Shapiro. Take care. See you soon.